Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Jay, how are you? Good, Tom. Uh, Doing well. How are you? Good. As we're recording, we're just kind of going into a long holiday weekend, which I'm sure you're looking forward to, as, as am I. Yeah. And actually, I had a, uh, I had a post-pandemic uh, first moment uh, this morning. I, I went out to breakfast, which I hadn't done, which ah. is weird. I thought about it. I'm like, man, I used to love going out to breakfast and I just hadn't done it. Um, and so, yeah, I went to, uh, went to a, a, a Greasy Spoon Diner with a friend and, and had some eggs and pancakes. So I don't know, nice. little, little things, you know, it's, it's nice to get back to some semblance of, um, you know, the way things used to be. And that was yeah. a, a minor, but in this case, seemed significant moment. Well, I know that it was part of your daily routine uh, or weekly or at least monthly to be out Friday mornings because we used to do co-coaching calls. Remember? Yeah. I would coach you and you'd coach me and it was free. So we both got our money's worth, but it was always seemed like Fridays that you were out at the cafe. So now you're back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. Um, so although, you know, y- your body becomes unaccustomed to that type of food too. So, <laughs> so you know, like uh, yeah, just, just like, wow, I haven't had that. Uh, haven't had the greasy, uh, the greasy breakfast for a while, but all good. Well, nature is healing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I know, uh, I am, I'm up for overrated, underrated to, to pose a question to you. So, um, this one, I, I, I thought about it because, you know, I, you've probably seen this too. There's, you know, speaking of a return to, to normal, um, I, I'm seeing more and more in-person conferences popping up, um, you know, for the fall, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot on the calendar and, you know, one of the things that brings to mind is this notion of, um, you know, participating in those conferences uh, as a speaker. So I was mm. curious as to your impression and whether you think public speaking is overrated or underrated as like a marketing and, and branding tactic. Mm, interesting. I was just thinking about this myself, about when conferences would start to kind of pop up again and people would feel comfortable going. So, um, well, I maybe I'll answer it this way. I don't think you can overrate public speaking um, as a thought leadership marketing platform. I think it does everything you want to do in terms of establishing authority. I mean, when you're on the dais and people are looking at you, there is the presumption that you've been vetted, uh, that at least this industry um, resource considers you an expert. Uh, it's just, a, you know, the physics of it just puts you literally on a pedestal. Um And I think people then regard you as an expert. And whenever I've done public speaking, it's not like I've got groupies, you know, storming the stage, but I have quite a few people that would come up to me and want to meet me and hand me a business card. It will follow up later. So if nothing else, if it's building reputation, I think it's certainly, I don't think you could overrate it. And I do think it does lead to new business opportunities. I'm curious why you asked, because it seems obvious to me. Do you have an an alternative view on that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think we usually are aligned, but on this one, we're not. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that in general, public speaking is, is overrated. Um, and I think that is, uh, you know, it might, might be colored by my own experience. It might just be that I'm not that great of a public speaker. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I haven't seen it be, I've done, you know, a fair amount of it 
Um, and, and there's been instances where, you know, new business opportunities have resulted from it. Um, but I'd say relative to the amount of time and work that is involved, um, I, I, that's where the, the overrated comes in. Because mm. especially, if, especially if it's conference speaking where travel is involved, it's like, you know, at least three days and, and typically more that you're burning um, to do, you know, maybe a 60 minute talk. And that doesn't take into account all the prep work. And, and one of the things about public speaking to me as a thought leadership tactic relative to like writing, for example, is that there is, you know, there's, there's some upside, but, and there's, and there's upside to writing too. There's way more downside to public speaking, right? Just because, just because if you stumble, like it's pretty, it's pretty obvious and, and that kind of thing. So, um, so I do think I, I, on a on sort of a risk adjusted basis, on a relative basis to some of the other thought leadership tactics you can get engaged in, um, it, it's overrated. And it, what bugs me too um, is that you know most of the conference speaking, yeah, there's always the keynote, of course, mm-hmm. um, and that's someone who's usually being paid a, a fee, um, mm-hmm. which is totally appropriate. Um, but as it relates to the like the breakout sessions, the typical opportunities that that most people have. Um, you know, that is, those are done for free in most instances. So you're not, um, you know, you're not getting paid for your time. Oftentimes, you know, you might be getting paid something for travel, but not always. And, and even in some conferences, and I know certain ones in the legal industry, which, which um, I, I just can't totally understand where they, they might give you a discount on the, on the conference registration fee, but, but you're still sometimes paying something even as a speaker. Right. So I don't know. I, 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 for me, it's, it's overrated. Um, that said, you know, the whole notion of doing talks via zoom is, is different because it takes out all of the, you know, all of the travel and, and, and headaches as it relates to that. So, so it's all <laughs> relative, um, but I'm, I'm balanced. I'd say overrated. You may be convincing me and I'm not going to get into a back and forth with a former attorney. That's for sure. But <laughs> let, let me just react to a couple of things. Cause I think where I agree too. What you didn't mention about the breakout rooms is if the conference is attended by a thousand, the breakout room, usually you got 20, 25 people and you're not even sure if it's the right people. So there is some truth to that. Um, you know, I've been harping on this, you know, pick one lane, you know, one plus one equals everything is my new marketing formula. Um, yeah. uh, I would say if public speaking is your one thing, then maybe it's the right platform. But to your point about it takes time and it's expensive, all of that's true. So if you're kind of sprinkling that in with everything else you're trying to do well, then I agree with you. It's probably maybe not worth it. But who is, you'll have a better memory than I, but we had an expert very early on in the podcast who public speaking was basically his jam. And so he, I think he laid out a pretty good program in terms of starting with the breakout room. And then the breakout session maybe leads to a keynote at some point. And then the keynote at a small regional event maybe could lead to a keynote at a national event. So if that's your strategy, I think there's something to that. But hmm, yeah. maybe I'm, I'm going to temper my enthusiasm now that you, <laughs> I mean, I don't think you fully convinced me, but I think you bring up some good points. Yeah. Yeah. That was Spencer Smith. Um, yes, we, we brought him on to talk about, because he does quite a, and he's a, he's a talented public speaker. And, and um, so, yeah. And, and it'd be interesting to get his perspective now, because I imagine he hasn't been doing as much of it, or if he has been um, via Zoom. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's just hard to, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, do the calculus to your point, you know, maybe you got a hundred people in a breakout room at a conference it's, and it's taking you, it's taking five days of your life to like travel and get ready for this talk relative to spending 30 minutes and, and doing a post on LinkedIn that see 5,000 people see. So in yeah. any, it's all, it's all relative. It's maybe not 
either or maybe it's maybe it's a little of both but i'd say on balance for me at least writing is is uh, far more beneficial yeah it, it, me too we're both introverts so getting up on that dais is you know not the most welcome experience in the world well let's stick to something that you do do very well then if you don't think you're a great speaker you are a great writer and you wrote something this week that i stumbled across on linkedin and i just thought it was brilliant and i thought you know let's let's unpack this a little bit for the podcast. So if you don't mind, I'd like to go to a post that you wrote uh, that begins the only way to create LinkedIn content seen by lots of people going back to your point about, you know, mass uh, audience is to first create lots of content seen by few people. That sounds almost like Spencer's strategy about starting small and then expanding. So uh, can we start with the open and tell us what you meant by that? Yeah. So what I'm really getting at with that is, you know, this, um, obstacle to some people you know, diving in and, and thinking about thought leadership marketing as their main uh, method of marketing, which is that, you know, it is a, it is a long game strategy. Um, it's not something that can happen overnight. I mean, it's, I framed it as, you know, there's the distinction between you can, you can buy an audience when it comes to marketing, you know, advertising, for example, um, pay for distribution, um, pay for visibility, or you can earn an audience and that takes, you know, more time, effort, sweat. Um, and, and that's through, you know, slowly and incrementally, you know, sharing your ideas in a way that resonates with an audience and over time, you know, attracting people to what you have to say and they start to perceive you as a thought leader and an expert. And as a result of that, you know, when an opportunity arises, they think of hiring you. So it's, you know, it's, I think there are, there are benefits to thought leadership marketing that people can relatively easily perceive. It's just the notion that, you know, when you get started, you might be, for example, if you're writing on LinkedIn, you, know, you might be generating a couple hundred views on your post and you, maybe a, a reaction or two, and that can be discouraging. And for many people, the notion of that, um, the kind of creating and sharing ideas and putting them out there into the world and no one seems to be paying attention, that can be an impediment to someone starting in the first place. Or if they do get started, they're just not getting enough of positive feedback from the marketplace and, and they stop. And so as a result of that, you know, they never kind of get over that hump that they need to where you start to gain traction and you start to gain more visibility and that's kind of what, that's kind of the problem or the mindset that I was setting out to address and that we're going to talk more about here today. Yep. And I want to come back to the, um, the buying versus earning attention. But before I do, I'm just, I'm reminded of a, the, a client that I almost signed and didn't sign with years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it was a change of uh, agency and we had all the details worked out literally about ready to sign the contract and the prospective client said to me, so there's no annual commitment, right? And I said, yep, this is month to month. I prove it every month. And he said, okay, great. So if 90 days, we'll know if this worked or not. And I can just stop. And I, I pause and say, wait, what? 90 days. Like, yeah, there, there will be some impact we're having, but what do you mean by did it work? Yeah. Right. And so ultimately, whatever ended up happening is it just wasn't a fit for what I do, for what you and I do. Right. Which is earning because that that does take time. But I would say and I want to get your feedback on this. Aren't the roots deeper when you sort of earn it as opposed to paying for it and getting it on the cheap? Don't you feel like there's more stickiness to earning authority and respect and 
all of the stuff that comes with thought leadership as opposed to just buying attention? Totally. I mean, you know, again, there's a big difference between eyeballs or, or ears or whatever, whatever form of content you're creating um, and, and the trust that is required to actually turn, you know, visibility or awareness into a new business opportunity. So trust is integral to selling sophisticated professional services. And it's just something that's very difficult to come by if all someone, if, if, if what you're doing is putting out there, you know, advertising that you're hoping someone will click on such that, you know, they get to your website and, and what do you expect them to do then? I mean, I guess you, you know, you can have an opt-in opportunity and, and continue that the relationship, but you know, at the, in, in, in most cases, it's, it's really a, a this long-term process of slowly kind of drip by drip, um, putting ideas out and, and people starting to perceive you as an expert, your brand starts to become associated with a certain set of um, issues and um, areas of expertise. And so when, uh, you know, the, an opportunity does arise, you, they're thinking of you, it's a way to even out the, the sporadic demand of, of services where, you know, not, not everyone needs to hire a lawyer or a consultant every day. And so what you need to do is to be able to put thoughtful content out there um, to continue to build trust and to continue to stay top of mind such that when that opportunity does arise, um, someone is thinking of you. And, and really it's, you know, it's the difference between you know, what, what advertising or buying an audience really is all about is, is trying to find ways to interrupt people um, from consuming content. You think about it, that's essentially what an ad is. I mean, someone buys a magazine, they're not buying it to read the ads, they're buying it to, to um, read the articles. And in the midst of those articles are, are advertising meant to interrupt someone. Same goes for TV and, and even in your um, Google search, you're there for an answer. Um, and yeah, okay, it, there, it might be possible that one of the pay-per-click ads is, is a relevant link, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, first and foremost, that ad's being placed there because someone paid, you know, the high, they paid the highest bid for that placement. And um, so in any event, those, those things, when you're interrupting someone um, that I think erodes trust. Whereas with thought leadership marketing, when you're actually creating the content, it's much more of an equal exchange of value. You're sharing your expertise in exchange for someone's time and attention. And that to me seems like more of an appropriate um, way to approach your audience and your prospective clients more respectful and more um, helpful to them as well. So that I think is what it really comes down to. Right. And no matter what form of marketing or advertising, you need to align your tactics and your strategy with whatever the, you know, the life cycle of the purchase decision is for the prospect. And so someone might ask, you know, listening to you say, well, then why do I see the blue links that people have paid for? Why do people pay for advertising and interrupt me? It must work, right? Mm -hmm. And think about what types of ads you most often see, say, watching television. It's a lot of retail. It's a lot of impulse decision. I bet I'm going to guess that our, your local um, mattress retailer or furniture store is having a 4th of July weekend sale, right? Because so what they're doing is they're playing to the purchase decision where it might be much more impulsive. You know, we decided, all right, enough's enough. We need a new couch and we're going to go out and buy it. That's a different sort of uh, calculus than somebody who may not even think they need an attorney or a consultant. But over time, I think thought leadership marketing can convince somebody that there is a potential need 
And once you're the one convincing that there's a need out there or that there is a problem that they maybe didn't even self-diagnose until you positioned it properly for them, then they say, okay, well, I think I'm interested in at least having this conversation with whom? Well, the person who clearly articulated the problem and the solution to it along the way. So it's different, right? In you know, it might you might go two years without needing to hire a new attorney or a new consultant, but when you do, you want to have, do so with the confidence that he or she understands your problem, is sophisticated enough to to fix it, uh, and uh, I have some level of trust with, right? And that's not the person that you just click on the first blue link when you do a search on the internet, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and you can, you know, I'm, I'm not, I agree with you. I mean, advertising can be effective, but it's very context dependent and audience specific. Um, it, you know, I think one of the things that this has been noted before, and probably, you know, if you think about it, you'll, you'll come to realize and, and find this interesting, but almost never do you see a, a, any large advertising agencies or, or marketing agencies themselves advertise, right? Maybe, maybe pay-per-click um, digital marketing, but have you ever seen a commercial from an advertising agency? Right. No, I don't. I mean, they, I don't think they exist. And so it just goes to show they they understand their audience, right? They're not just trying to reach the masses. They have a very specific audience in mind, and they're reaching that audience through different means. Um, and it's not advertising, which is is kind of curious. I used to get asked that question a lot, you know, um, you know, from friends maybe or family. If advertising works so well, how come no big ad agencies advertise? And I would say, well that's not the way that we get hired. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't like somebody doesn't see an ad on TV and call us and hire us. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing happens for probably 99% of our listenership is that's not, if that's not how you get hired, that shouldn't be how you advertise, right? How do you get hired? Well, usually trust, confidence, maybe a referral. And I think that's where thought leadership marketing is specifically and perfectly aligned to establish that trust over time, earn it. It has deep roots. And when it's necessary, it will pay off. But the other thing I wanted to pick your brain on is that sometimes going back to that scenario that you mentioned early on where somebody's starting to put some thought leadership content into the world and maybe they're only getting a handful of likes, not enough comments. Um, sometimes it's hard to measure or know that you're having an impact if all you're doing is measuring it by likes and clicks. And sometimes you are starting to erode that lack of trust or lack of awareness without everyone saying, raising their hand saying, Hey, Tom, this article was great. Uh, I'm this much closer to hiring you. You know, there's a ton of people that say, I listen to your podcast all the time, but they don't, you know, some people don't click like when we post them on LinkedIn or, you know, they don't send me an email and say, I'd listen to it. So how do you, how do you, Jay, personally, how do you coach a client to maybe, have faith that it's working even when the signs aren't always obvious. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think one is just kind of understanding the potential benefits and that they are long-term, like you go into it and that's kind of the first step I think is really going into it with the appropriate expectations that, yeah, you know, odds are this is going to take a little while. Um, but there are, real benefits down the road that you can realize as a result of, of engaging in these activities. So, so having that appropriate expectation, just like, you know, if just the way a, a personal trainer would, would tell a client, I think like, you know, 
you, you're going to work out with me for this week and you've been, you know, a couch potato for 10 years, like you're not going to be buff in a week. Right? Right. You, you can be buff someday, but you're not going to be immediately. Um, and I think they're, they're trying to set those same types of, of expectations. And then, you know, to your point, the, the audience oftentimes is, is quietly watching without engaging with you. Um, and, and that's, that's okay. Right. That doesn't mean to your point that it's not, uh, the audience is not, um, you know, again, starting to trust you more, starting to pay attention to you more, starting to see you as more of an expert. Um, I share that where a, a lot of the new business that opportunities that, that come my way as a result of thought leadership marketing come from people who I had no idea were reading my content, yet they say, oh, I've been subscribed to your email list for years. I've read a book of yours and, and I've, you know, I'm, I'm always following your LinkedIn content. I had no idea, right? Uh, right? So, and I think that is true for many people. Many people um, pay attention, but they don't engage, and that's that's totally okay. So you have to understand that you know the and and you'll find over time too, and, and I'm sure you find this as well, Tom, especially as it relates to LinkedIn, because LinkedIn is the place where we can most obviously see you know immediate sort of synchronous reaction to to our our content. Um, it you know over time you'll see it's. By and large, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of commonality among the people who always will react to your posts, right? You'll start yeah. to create a, an audience of, of engaged people who they are, they are the type of people who react to content or leave comments on posts. Um, and, and, you know, some posts you'll have more people, some you'll have a little less, but you always have sort of your core contingent. And so, but that's what? one, two, three percent of, of all the total views you're getting on your posts. So there's a lot of people out there who are who are reading but are not raising their hand or or you know clapping their hands for you in the way that you know we might hope for. And yet that doesn't mean that someone isn't coming to trust you more um, such that they will be more likely to hire you in the future. Yep. And I'm willing to bet too, maybe this will give people confidence to at least take the first step and then stick with it is for all of the huge success stories and maybe even internet celebrities we've had on, uh, on the show, like, you know, I'm thinking of a Frank Ramos or Scott Becker, Laura Frederick, whoever it might be. They all had a first post too, that Mm -hmm. didn't do much. Um, But by sticking to it, they get to the point where we see them now and we're like, Oh, we're so envious. They have, maybe tens of thousands of followers in the case of Frank Ramos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how did he get there, right? And so I think Frank would say, and I think he did say, he started just by posting every day, multiple times a day. Um, and so you need to know that the the aspirational kind of uh, lodestar that you're holding up is, I wish I could be like that person. It all started with a single post that fell flat and they were like, well, I'll try again. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have Laura Frederick on to talk about that when we... Uh, established the thought leadership or the thought leader collaborative uh, in July or August, I think we're having her speak. So that'll be interesting. That might give people confidence too, to say, okay, well, if it's good enough for her and she stuck with it, look at her now. And, you know, so anyways. And then I I would add one more thing, you know, as it relates to, you know, the benefits or to allow you to, the, the mindset that allows you to stick with these, these efforts over time. Um, the other one would be, I'd say, the act of creating content, even if you feel like not many people are paying attention, is still beneficial because mm. it'll help you sharpen your thinking, um, start to you know, think more creatively about ideas, start paying more attention you know, to what you're doing and, and what clients are saying, that kind of thing. So there are, your writing will improve. All of these are 
um, benefits that will uh, redound to you if you start to create uh, consistently create content, uh, even if you feel like not that many other people are paying attention. Um, you'll 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 sharp. It'll have carryover effect or spillover effect in other areas of your professional life um, by by doing this work. Absolutely. And you provided a tip that you said you identified. It's almost paradoxical, but it's a simple approach, a simple shift, maybe in approach or mindset that can get people um, maybe off the sidelines or even those that are starting to to stick with it because it's an approach that John Steinbeck used, right? Mm-hmm. What was that? Yeah. So um, I, the, the Steinbeck quote you're referring to is um, Steinbeck uh, referred to, re- quote, readers as the nameless, faceless audience. Um, and the idea being it's difficult sometimes to when you're setting out to write to be thinking about trying to please everyone or make what you're trying to say relevant to, to everyone. Um, it's very difficult to do because there are, you know, Everyone has different, um, they're bringing different perspectives uh, to, to what they're reading. They have different life experiences. They're in different jobs. They're in different industries. Um, so to have something that's broadly relevant to, to all people is very difficult. Um, whereas if you, if you set out to write for a single reader, it becomes far easier. And, and your, your writing itself becomes far more effective because um, you are being very specific, you are being very contextualized um, and it takes the pressure off of trying to please everyone. And you just have one, you know, in, in, in this case, what I usually counsel people to do is to, to think of, you know, sort of your ideal client um, and what, you know, what's their makeup, what's their persona. An actual person, Jay, or not just a, you know, not a persona, an actual yeah, person. Well, it, you could, you could think about a persona if there are sort of common characteristics. I, I like the idea of writing for a specific person. Me too. Huh? Um, yeah. So, you know, and that might differ, you know, if I might be right, sometimes I write advice for, for like young lawyers and I, I have um, a couple people in mind when I do that. Uh, and it might be if I'm writing for, you know, someone who's a partner in a law firm, I have a, a person or a couple people in mind when I'm doing that, but it really helps you just think about like, what would I say to this person? Um, and because their, their challenges are probably pretty similar to everyone else's challenges that are standing in their shoes. Um, it just makes the writing process a heck of a lot easier. Yeah. And, and that's why I wanted to make that distinction about a specific person, because that actually helped me mm-hmm. overcome, I bet what is an apprehension for a lot of people, which is a combination of maybe imposter syndrome coupled with the curse of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, well, if I put thought leadership, quote unquote, thought leadership, you know, I was using that almost as a pejorative uh, out there in the marketplace, my peers are going to see right through that. It's not either. There's always someone smarter than me, right? There's the marketing consultants. There's the Seth Godin's of the world. And, you know, even lesser known names like Jeannie Dietrich. Like if that person reads my content, are they going to tear it apart? And so for me to understand that I'm not writing for my peers, right? I'm writing for someone who has no knowledge, basically, of marketing in the that curse of knowledge where something seems super simple to me, but it's very complex to a reader. I put the name Mark in my brain to the actual Mark. I said, well, what would Mark want to overcome? What, is, what would Mark want to know? And it was really easy to write for Mark. Yeah. And I had to actually dumb it down a little bit. So now I didn't feel like I, like, you know, I, I'm an imposter. I felt like, all right, I need to kind of hold Mark's hand through this. And um, incidentally enough, when I did that, Mark saw the post and Mark commented on the post. And I was like, I did it. 
That's this awesome. is how you write content, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. And and the other thing I would say in other instances, um, the one person I'm writing for is myself too. Mm. You know, writing for me is a cathartic exercise where, you know, I, I've talked about this before where, you know, I, I don't feel like I have clarity on, on issues oftentimes until I write about them. So when I'm struggling with something or I'm grappling with a question, um, if I'm writing for myself, then that to me is, is, a, is, the, is the one audience that, that needs to hear that. And it, it means that there's probably others who are struggling with the same things I am. So, so sometimes it's not someone else, but it's really writing for yourself um, that allows you to kind of get over the block of you know, imposter syndrome and, and other things that you mentioned, Tom. Um, speaking you know, one- of, can I ask you real quick, uh, yeah. speaking of that, um, writing for yourself, because you, you, there was a shift in your thought leadership approach, I would say in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if this helps you write um, more simply or more prolifically, if that's a word. Um, and you and I both used to write extensive 1200 you know, word articles, we post them to our blog, and we get them published on industry, uh, mm-hmm. trade media, etc. Um, and for me, I, I feel like that style of writing commands that I demonstrate expertise and authority. Mm-hmm. But you started writing all of your content in um, on LinkedIn posts, specifically. Mm-hmm. And there was a change in style, I noticed. Um, I don't yeah. want to say you dumbed it down, but you simplified things, one sentence paragraphs, lots of white space, even within the post, you didn't get overly technical. Mm-hmm. Am I, are all those things true? And has writing specifically for LinkedIn helped you um, or just changed you in any way? Yeah, very much. Um, and, it, and part of it was just the constraints, right? And we don't mm-hmm. have the, the constraints we used to have when it was 1300 characters, but um, you have to really, you know, you can call it dumbing it down or, or really just, you know, being very concise, uh, whatever, whatever it is, uh, that's a forcing function that I think, um, I think imp- improved my writing. And I started to really pay attention to the fact that um, as I did that, even you know, longer form content started to bother me because I saw how much of it was, uh, you know, just just needless fluff. Mm-hmm. And and then I rec- and then I you know connected the dots to like, well, that's probably a lot of what I had in my own writing right. previously. Um, so so yeah, even you know now when I'm writing something that would have been a thousand word article, um, I'm trying to keep it to you know now I'm not afraid to make it 500 words because before I used to equate you know some sometimes you just whether consciously or subconsciously equate length with quality. And that's not at all the case. I'd rather get a, um, a great insight in, in a few paragraphs rather than, um, you know, spending 10 minutes reading something that's 1400 words that should be 400. I agree. And I actually now I've reversed that where I feel like the, the longer it is, the less valuable it is. So if I'm writing for a client, I always start out with the idea, right? This is going to be an 800 word post. That's it. Mm -hmm. 800 words. I get done with the first draft. Where am I? 1600. It's like, oh, I don't even know if I want to reread this. Right? <laughs> so why would my reader want to read it? So yeah. it helped. I agree. It's, it's helped to keep things short. It's just the way that the world is nowadays where, you know, 166 character tweet, you get halfway through it. You're like, oh, this is too much to read. I'm going to move on to the next one. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I think, Tom, I, you know, one thing I think that can help people if um, they're, you know, they're, they're blocked or have some uh, some mindset block that's preventing them from from creating content would be you're gonna you know sort of set expectations appropriately and then set a challenge for yourself you know it takes time to develop a habit um and oftentimes it's you know say it's 30 days that it takes to develop a habit there's some science around that 
um, set a 30 day challenge for yourself. And it, it might not be right every day, but um, at least pick, at least write a few times a week and like on LinkedIn, for example, um, and, and start to develop that habit um, and, and kind of strike a deal with yourself that you're not going to worry about the numbers, the reactions, that kind of thing during that period of time. You're just going to establish the practice for yourself. Um, and I, I guess somewhat paradoxically, I think taking that approach is what's actually going to allow you to build an audience more quickly and an engagement mm -hmm. audience because you're taking that long-term approach and you're going to write in such a way that doesn't set out to like you know, just go viral or have, um, you know, you're, you're not going to make the shortcuts. You're not going to do try to do the tricks that are going to gain people's um, reactions. You're going to actually create valuable, generous content. And that would be, I'd say, you know, you mentioned Laura Frederick. I know that's that's what she did. She kind of decided she was going to post every day for 30 days with very low expectations and things took off um, and she's been posting every day since. Um, but I think, you know, and we'll, we'll talk more uh, to Laura about this, as you mentioned, when we have her on in the Thought Leader Collaborative membership. Um, but, you know, without having set a challenge for herself like that, she might not have ever gotten started. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because she was, she was a complete, she would maybe post what every couple of weeks you would say, if at all. It, yeah, really not. I mean, she wasn't, if you, if you look back, she really wasn't posting at all other than maybe sharing something once in a while, but never writing her own posts in the way she yeah. did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so that's what they say. Focus on your behaviors because you can control your own actions. Mm -hmm. Don't, I wouldn't even say, don't even look at the metrics. It's hard yeah. to do, but it, after 30 days, or I'll even that client that wanted 90 days, you're going to look back and it'll be really easy to identify where the wins were. It might not be, you know, you landed a huge new client, but it'll be really obvious where you're starting to make traction. And that was for Laura. So when we talked to her, you know, how did you know it was working? Did you, were you getting a bunch of business? And I know she was, but there were other things and, and you'll feel it. Mm -hmm. And so don't get overly obsessed with, you know, what, what are the right metrics? You know, is it clicks? Is it likes? Is it inbound? You'll, you'll know after the 30 days, but again, don't focus on that. Focus on your activities and behaviors. Yeah. And in an ideal world, you'll, you know, again, what will happen is you start enjoying it and we do more of the things that we enjoy. Absolutely. And so, uh, but you've got to give yourself a chance to, to get to the point where something that seems hard at first starts to become enjoyable as you get better at it and you, you get more practice at it. So, yeah. well, anything else we need to cover before I got to uh, go cancel a public speaking gig I had because <laughs> I know yeah, it's way overrated. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No, I think that covers it, Tom. I think, uh, I think we, we covered the ground I wanted to, at least it's going to take okay. a while, I guess, is the, at least set out with the notion that it's going to take a while. Um, yep. that's, that's what the key mindset shift. And I'll leave people with the last four words of your post because I think it's, it's really, uh, I think it's brilliant advice and it's borrows from Steinbeck. And you wrote, forget everyone, write for someone. That's yep. actually five words. I miscounted, but I, would, I was told there would be no math. So I guess <laughs> until next time, Jay, uh, we'll thank listeners for tuning in and uh, check us out next week on another episode of the Thought Leadership Project. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.